Alright, so uh, this podcast does contain themes of murder and things of that nature. So if you don't like murder or crime or disappearances or anything like that, then you should probably uh, go and pick up something else. For the past couple of weeks now, I've been noticing a few odd things in my apartment. It started off with food mysteriously disappearing from my refrigerator and pantry while I'd be away at work. I didn't think much of it at the time, since every now and then I'd lose track of my daily eating habits due to my busy schedule, so I simply brushed it off. Eventually, it didn't stop there. Almost every night I could have sworn I heard shuffling sounds coming from within the walls. And sometimes when I got home late from work, I'd find both my computer and TV turned on. Even when I distinctly remembered turning them off before I left. Strangely, the TV would always be tuned to the local news, and my computer's search history would show several results for nearby takeout restaurants. Needless to say, it was freaking me out. The building I lived in had tight security, with officers frequently patrolling the area, and it was located in the part of the city where crime was pretty scarce. Considering that I had given a couple of friends copies of my apartment key to make sure that I wouldn't misplace them, which I so often do, I thought that perhaps one of them was trying to mess with me. I was eager to get to the bottom of this, so I asked if either of them were the culprit. However, they both blatantly denied it. This, of course, put me on edge. So I asked my landlord to check the security footage of my floor for any suspicious activity. He immediately began searching through two weeks of recorded footage, looking for any unfamiliar faces entering my apartment. He finished his investigation the following week and said that he found nothing out of the ordinary. There's nothing to worry about, he assured me. It's all probably in your head, man. At the time, I was considering the possibility that maybe he was right. Being a domestic abuse lawyer, I've had to deal with a lot of stressful cases and work overwhelmingly long hours. Perhaps the numerous caffeine-fueled nights and constant headaches were starting to get to me. On one particular snowy day, I was coming down with a nasty cold and had to call in sick for the next few days. Despite having to reluctantly waste some of my days off on such a gloomy occasion, I was still glad to be temporarily free from my hectic obligations. It was around 7.30, and I was getting really tired. I had finally made it near my apartment on the sixth floor. I just got back from picking up some remedies at Walmart, and was anticipating a nice long night of peace and relaxation. Just as I stood in front of the door, I immediately heard a faint shuffling in the distance. My eyes scanned the hallway for any signs of life. Nothing. Suddenly, I could hear footsteps quickly creaking on a wooden surface. After listening in closely, I made a chilling realization of where these footsteps were coming from. Inside my apartment. This couldn't have been one of my friends, as I recently changed the lock on my door due to all the strange things that had been happening. A sudden chill went up my spine because I knew right then and there 
an intruder had somehow broken in. At that moment, I felt really uneasy. I wanted to run downstairs and call for help, but I knew if I left the hallway at this point, the intruder would definitely make a break for it. Being the naive young man that I was, I was determined to go inside, grab my gun, and try to apprehend whoever was inside. Taking in a deep breath, I slowly unlocked the door and creaked it halfway open. I was instantly hit with a powerful, ghastly odor that made me want to puke. It smelled like something had been decaying in there for quite some time. Ignoring it, I cautiously proceeded to the kitchen to grab the gun I kept hidden in the top drawer. I grabbed it and turned on the light. To my surprise, the first thing I noticed was several pizza boxes and takeout bags scattered across the ceramic tiles. This struck me as rather odd, because I knew I didn't order any takeout that day. I also noticed that there were food-covered footprints leading directly into the living room. Someone was definitely in here, and it looked like they were in a hurry to remain hidden from me. I slowly made my way into the living room with my gun at the ready. The footsteps lead right next to the boarded-up wall that was stationed on the other side of the room. There are a couple of half-broken planks in the middle of it that I haven't gotten around to fixing yet. Very carefully, I walked towards the wall for a closer inspection. My heart began beating with every inch I took. I stopped walking around a few feet away from it and began closely examining it. I couldn't make out anything inside, so I moved my head in even closer to search for any signs of life. Again, nothing was completely visible, as it was pitch dark inside. So, this time I pulled out my phone, put it in the wall, and turned on the screen. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I saw two amber-red eyes staring directly at me. My heart dropped like a rock. I quickly stumbled backwards, trying to keep my balance. A sudden rush of adrenaline swiftly filled my entire body. I quickly spoke in the most intimidating voice I could muster up. If you don't get the fuck out of there right now, I swear I'll blow your fucking brains out! I exclaimed. Silence subsequently followed. I was half expecting some demented lunatic to rush out from there and attack me out of nowhere. So I prepared myself for an epic battle. Didn't you fucking hear me? I'm not messing around. Before I could finish my sentence, I was interrupted by a faint sobbing coming from within the wall. The intruder took in a deep breath and spoke in a soft tone. Please, don't hurt me. I'm, I'm really sorry about what I've done. The intruder replied. The voice sounded like it belonged to a frightened little girl around the age of 13. This really wasn't the dramatic response I was expecting. I lowered my gun as the tension in the room quickly shifted to that of confusion. Jesus, kid, you nearly scared me half to death. I said, Who are you? And what exactly are you doing in there? No response. It seemed like my initial reaction shook her up a bit. It's okay. You can tell me. I promise I won't hurt you. I slowly backed away from the wall to assure her that I wasn't a threat. See? After a brief moment of silence, she replied once more. My name's, uh... 
My name's Maple, she said in a jittery voice. I didn't, I didn't mean to cause trouble. I only wanted to get away from my mean parents. Maple? I paused for a minute, trying to recollect where I've heard that name before, and then it hit me. Maple was the little girl that went missing in the area several weeks ago. The media reported that she allegedly ran away from home after her parents had physically abused her last Christmas. She must have slipped in my apartment when I forgot to lock the door that day. At that moment, I felt genuinely sympathetic, mostly because I've dealt with quite a few runaways in my line of work. The poor thing must be scared to death. I guess, when I ran out of food, she decided to break into my neighbor's apartment and help herself to their leftovers. She probably dropped it all on the floor and made a break for it once she heard me come to the door. I remembered at this point that there was a police car parked right outside of the building. I figured that I should first try to comfort her before calling the cops over. It's okay, sweetie. Everything's going to be alright, I assured her. Just please, come out so I can make sure you're okay. She suddenly stopped sobbing and became quiet. Dead silence filled the room as I anxiously awaited a response. She was almost starting to freak me out. After about a minute passed, she finally said something. Okay, but could you first put the gun on the floor and come closer? I need help getting out. Her voice sounded slightly deeper this time. The sudden shift in tension kind of threw me off at first. I wanted to comply with her demands. But I had this strange, eerie feeling deep inside that something was off. At the time, I couldn't make out what it was though. Giving in to my paranoia, I thought it was best if I just left her there while I went to go get help. Oh, um, actually, just wait here, Maple. I'll be back soon with the- Wait! Don't go! She interrupted in a surprisingly loud and desperate plea. The sudden outburst made my whole body flinch. You can't leave me here. My ankle, it hurts really badly. I think I twisted it when I slipped on the floor. I don't think I can get out on my own. You have to get me out of here right now. This place is really creeping me out. I hesitated for a moment. Believe me. I wanted nothing more than to help her out. But there was something about her tone that made me feel like she wasn't completely telling the truth. My intuition usually is pretty good at judging whether or not someone was lying, so I inclined to follow my good feeling. I'll only be a couple minutes. Hang in there, kiddo. I promise I won't be long. I quickly ran out of my apartment before she could say another word. After a brief elevator ride down, I sped across the hall, out the spinning doors, and into the freezing weather. To my relief, I found a slightly chubby officer talking to his slim partner right across the street from me. I ran towards them, eager to tell them everything that went down. Before I could make it halfway there, however, I froze. My heart sank, as I remembered something that will forever send a chill down my spine. I couldn't believe I didn't realize this until now. That couldn't have been the same missing girl, because last night, she was found murdered a couple blocks away. Her lifeless body was discovered stuffed inside a wall of a vacant apartment. It was all over the news this morning. Struck in awe, I was left nervously wondering who the hell was hiding in my walls this entire time. 
I wasted no time as I rushed to the police and frantically told them everything like a nervous wreck. At first, they thought it all sounded a bit sketchy, but after I persisted for a few minutes, they were finally persuaded to follow me and take a look. Without catching my breath, I ran back to my apartment with the officers following closely behind. When we made it to my living room, I showed them where the intruder was hiding. The chubby officer told me to step back as they both drew out their guns and pointed them at the wall. This is the police. I want you to get out from there right this instant and put your hands on the ground. The officer's demands were met with silence. You have five seconds to comply or else I'm dragging you out. Still, nothing. The slim officer nodded, cueing his partner to go in. His partner pulled out a flashlight and slowly walked towards the wall with his gun still drawn out. I anxiously watched as he made his way to the wall and put his head inside. He began thoroughly searching both sides. Did you find anything? The slim officer asked. Nope, it's all clear, he replied. But I, I can tell someone's been hiding and before he could finish his sentence he paused. He put his head in deeper for a closer inspection. Oh, hold up. I, I think I see something. Judging by the surprise in his voice, I had a feeling he was about to discover something really disturbing. I could feel it in my bones. What is it? His partner called out. The chubby officer took his head out of the wall and looked at his partner with a shocked expression. I, uh... I think... I think I can see a couple bodies inside. Those words made my entire world turn upside down. I almost couldn't believe what I was hearing. Are you sure about that? The slim officer asked. Y yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. He exclaimed. My god, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. These bodies, they... It looks so mutilated. Just what the hell happened in here? The unsettling thought that I had just stood a feet away from human corpses made my stomach turn. The powerful stench of decaying flesh made me want to puke my guts out. I knew right then and there that whoever had been hiding in my walls this whole time was definitely not a little girl. Help me, help me break down this wall. One of them could still be alive. The slim officer put his gun back in his holster and walked towards the wall. I watched from about 15 feet away as they both started breaking down the old planks one by one. They quickly teared off three rows of them with ease while blood started pouring out in excessive amounts. Suddenly, out of nowhere, several lifeless, dismembered bodies fell right off the wall and onto the floor. My eyes grew wide with shock. Most of their flesh looked like it was violently bitten off, and their mutilated faces were completely unrecognizable. The disturbing thought of the immense pain these victims must have suffered through was simply too much to take in. Upon taking a closer look at the type of clothes they had on, I made a chilling realization of who they were. They were all food deliverers from several nearby restaurants, I could barely make out the restaurant logo on their violently shredded and blood-soaked shirts. I wanted to look away from the gruesome sight, but there was something above the bodies that had caught my eye. It looked like there was something written in blood 
on the inside of the wall. At first, I couldn't make out what it said through the darkness of the room, so I slowly walked closer to read it more clearly. My entire body shook to its very core the instant I realized what it said. You're lucky you didn't do what I asked. Disclaimer. I am not a paranormal investigator. I am an author. While looking for inspiration for a book, I came across a series of stories surrounding a home in the American Pacific Northwest. It is an extremely unextraordinary looking house in an extremely unextraordinary looking residential neighborhood. But the stories that have emanated from its former residents and the people who lived in the town that it's located in are quite extraordinary. Through my research of the house on Wendell Lane, I have come across accounts that range from the supernatural to just the plain bizarre. In order to protect the privacy of the people in the town and the current inhabitants of the house on Wendell Lane, I have not only changed the name of everyone in these stories, but the name of the street as well. Wendell Lane is just an alias for the true location of these accounts. Alan Palmer lived in the house on Wendell Lane from September 2002 to July 2003. After months of trying to contact him about his time there, I finally received an email agreeing to set up a meeting. Quite a few of the house's prior residents had turned down my requests for face-to-face -face interviews, so I jumped at the chance to talk to him in person once the opportunity presented itself. Palmer who worked as a socioeconomics professor at the University of Washington, arranged to meet me and talk over drinks at a place of his choosing in downtown Seattle. The bar was called Oliver's Lounge and was located in the historic Mayflower Park Hotel. Upon arriving, I was surprised to see how crowded it was for 3pm on a Tuesday. There were people seated at nearly every table while food runners and waiters dressed in white servers jackets and black bow ties hustled and bustled about the room, bringing people their orders. Windows stretched from floor to ceiling, allowing for an ample amount of sunlight to illuminate the space, giving it a genuinely open and inviting ambience. I spotted Palmer in the corner, sitting at a small high table and sipping on a glass of scotch. He greeted me with a hearty handshake and a bright smile after I introduced myself to him. The man was greying a little around the ears, and I could tell shortly after meeting him that he was incredibly intelligent. But aside from that, he seemed to have the demeanour of a fellow fifteen years his junior. Palmer was a light-hearted gentleman who loved a good joke and he insisted on telling me a few of his favourites before I turned my tape recorder on. Once he had his fun, we started the interview. Believe it or not, 
You're not the first person who's tried to contact me about the time I spent living on Wendell Lane. Apparently there are all kinds of ghost enthusiasts out there who have heard about the house through various online forums. These types of people tend to frequent nerds and losers. You know the type. They spend their time sifting through thread after thread on the internet, pretending they're doing something productive with their lives. Hell, most of them are probably overweight man-children sitting in their parents' basement and conducting their research in between anime cartoons. Palmer let out a laugh, seemingly pleased with his depiction of the paranormal research community. I decided to admit the fact I first heard about him through one of the online forums he was talking about. He took a sip of scotch and continued on. So naturally, I ignored your emails thinking you were another one of those ghost geeks. It's strange. I probably wouldn't have agreed to meet, but I came across one of your books by complete accident. My nephew mentioned your work in passing when I was over at my brother's house for dinner a few weeks ago. I put two and two together, and realized you were the same author who had been emailing me. So I figured why the hell not? I'm game to talk about it if you are. Although, I must admit my story probably isn't as interesting as demons or monsters or whatever the hell it is you write about. Not a whole lot happened while I was living there. In fact, the only reason I lived in the house for such a short period of time was because an old colleague of mine offered me a full professorship here at the University of Washington. Not long after I purchased it, and the commute was just too far. My workplace at the time had no job security. I was on the shopping block every year, so there was no way I could turn down the offer. This was before the housing bust in 07. It was a seller's market, banks were giving away loans like there was no tomorrow, so it wasn't difficult to turn right back around and flip the place. Hell, hell I even made 30 grand. Plus, I love Seattle. The weather sucks, but the city has culture. We made small talk for a bit. He told some stories about work, his travels to Europe, even asked me about some of the upcoming books that I had been working on. I was beginning to wonder if flying all the way out to Seattle to speak with him had been a big waste of time. After all, Palmer appeared almost completely uninterested in discussing any and all aspects of the house. I directed his attention back towards the reason why we had met, and I asked him to describe the most bizarre encounter he could remember having in the short time he lived on Wendell Lane. Ha <laughs> ha! Now you're starting to sound like the internet ghost geeks. Fine, fine, let me think. Like I said, nothing really ever strange happened. That's why I... He paused for a moment, and looked out the window towards the street. There was one thing. I had almost forgotten about it. The TV incident. It was a Friday night in June, about a month before the house sold. There was nothing on. You know how crappy television programming can be on the weekends. 
especially in the summertime. I was scrolling through channels on my TV's menu looking for something to turn my brain off. When the title of a show caught my eye, it was called You Shouldn't Watch. I figured with a name like that, how could I not give it a go? Also, the show was on a channel I had never seen before. Channel 732. To be honest, I don't watch much TV and when I do, I don't usually venture out of the HD channels. So I wasn't even sure if it was covered under my cable package. Now, I don't know what yours looks like, but the way my cable provider's menu is set up, different colours are used to distinguish different types of shows. You get green for sports, purple for movies, and blue for everything else. However, the menu colour for this particular show was black. The text was yellow, which was also unusual since the show's title is always written in white. Even the font was different. Don't ask me to describe what it looked like because I can't really recall. All I know was I had never seen letters written in that way before. I know it sounds odd, but the best description I could give you is that even though the lettering looked completely alien in appearance, my mind could somehow interpret it, interpret what it said. You shouldn't watch. Now, I'm starting to sound like the internet weirdos. <laughs> Palmer polished off his glasses and called the waitress over to order another drink. Anyways, from the second I turned on the program, I knew I was watching something very strange. Very, very strange indeed. The black and white picture on my television was of a mostly empty room. There was no visible windows or doors. The place seemed cold and uninviting. Like, how I'd imagine a jail cell in Bangladesh would look. Not dead centre, but slightly off to the left of the frame was a man sitting at an old rusty table. He was shirtless and looked to be very malnourished. It reminded me of those old photos you see of the Jews who suffered through German concentration camps during World War II. I remember wondering if he was a prisoner there. The frail man wore a pair of tattered slacks, no belt or no shoes. His mouth hung agape as if his jaw was too heavy to close. There was no musical dialogue. The only noise radiating from my speakers was the sound of his wheezy, raspy breaths. God, it sounded like he was suffering from emphysema or something. I followed his gaze down to an old rotary phone sitting on the tabletop. He just gawked at the thing like a buffoon, while I stared at the screen mesmerized by the odd scene taking place on my television. I hit the info button hoping to read a synopsis of what the show was about, but of course there was nothing so I just kept watching. For minutes he didn't move. I giggled to myself for a bit, you know, like, the way you do when something makes you uncomfortable and your brain thinks laughing will ease the tension. The whole time I was waiting, hoping for something that resembled dialogue, anything to prove that I was just watching some weird movie and it simply turned it on at the wrong time. But nothing ever happened. Perplexed, 
and a little bit bored, I, I stood up from my couch and headed over to the kitchen to rummage through the fridge for a little late night snack. I was about halfway done making myself a sandwich when I heard the most terrible noise. Palmer paused briefly. At first, I knew he had stopped his story because of the waitress returning from the bar with his drink, but he barely acknowledged her presence. The man was caught up in a deep thought as he had just remembered something important. When he finally began speaking again, the tone of his voice had completely changed. Gone was the chipper, upbeat persona I had come to know him by. Palmer was clearly distraught. It, it sounded horrible, like, like a dying animal. I remember an awful sensation of nausea washing over me. It was the strangest thing. There was an ominous feeling in the air too. Death. Ruin. Calamity all hanging over my head. Once I realised that the noise was coming from the television, I put down my sandwich and hurried back towards the living room. The scene on the TV was essentially the same, except now the sickly-looking man had turned his head up towards the ceiling and was howling and groaning in the most unpleasant of ways. The longer I watched, the more it made me feel like I was... I was going to wretch. The whole thing was utterly abhorrent. The man would moan for 30, maybe 40 seconds at a time before stopping suddenly. Then he would take another deep wheezy breath and the terrible sounds would begin anew. I cringed as I took it all in. My visual and auditory senses were, were being assaulted by the most disagreeable of stimuli and I was still fighting off the urge to vomit all over my living room carpet. Just when I thought things couldn't get worse, the man, still groaning mind you, turned his head in the direction of the screen and stared straight into the camera. The thing is, I was certain he was looking directly at me. That's, that's what it felt like. I was almost as if we were in the same room. I probably should have turned the show off. But after minutes of nothing, something was finally going on and I felt compelled to keep watching, even though I was suffering immensely. I stared into the glazed over eyes of the sickly looking man until he turned his attention down towards the phone sitting on the table. Palmer hunched over in his seat and removed his glasses. He seemed visibly shaken. The 42-year-old econ professor clasped the bridge of his nose between his thumb and his index finger and let out a deep sigh. Beads of sweat had begun to form on his forehead. I'm sorry, for forgive me, I, I haven't thought about this night in a long time. I suppose it's possible my mind pushed this episode to the back of my conscious and I forgot all about it kind of a defense mechanism type of thing. I've read about case studies where army veterans who witnessed horrific events develop amnesia after their time in the military. It seems though I may be going through something similar. Except as I sit here and talk to you, everything begins to come back to me. 
I asked him if he wanted to continue. He agreed and then resumed his story. His hand quaked violently as he lifted the phone to his ear. His arms were rail thin and it, it looked as though he was struggling mightily to hold it in place. With his other hand, he started clumsily spinning the rotary dial. And that's when my cell phone started ringing. A chill like ran down my spine, my nausea got even worse. That ominous feeling in the air had transformed into full-on horror. I prayed with every fibre in my being that it was just a coincidence as I looked at my phone's caller ID. You have no idea how bad I wanted the number to be one that I recognised. I didn't recognise it, of course. Hell, it wasn't even a number. It was something else entirely in the, in the same strange alien text from the TV's menu with the words... You shouldn't listen. Written where the caller's number should have been. That was enough for me. I hung up the phone and reached for the remote on the coffee table. I must have pressed the channel button a dozen, a dozen times. But the picture never changed. I tried the power button and still nothing happened. The man began to dial the phone again. Once more, my cell started to ring. Palmer had gone pale. He looked completely different from when I first met him. The polar opposite of the smiling man who shook my hand earlier. I tried to turn off the TV manually. I even unplugged it from the wall. But by the time... I knew it would do nothing. The sickly, pale man continued to stare at me. It, his horrible... Empty gaze felt as though it was tearing me to pieces. Stomach bile slowly started to crawl its way up through my esophagus. I didn't know why I answered the phone. I couldn't help myself. Maybe I thought if I did, then it would all just end. My finger trembled as I pressed the answer button. I slowly lifted the phone to my face. I didn't even need to say, Hello? He just began speaking, as if he was watching me answer the phone through the television screen. And perhaps he was. Tears began to well up in Palmer's eyes. I tried to tell him that he didn't need to go into further detail if he was uncomfortable. But he kept talking as though he'd never even heard me. By that point, he would have just finished his story even if there was no one sitting across the table from him. He spoke to me in a terrible voice. It sounded like he was gargling shards of glass. His lips moved on the screen, but I could hear him clearly over the phone. He said, he said, you shouldn't tell. Then in one horrible, inhumanely quick motion, he leapt out of the frame as the screen went to black. Jesus Christ, he said, you shouldn't tell. Did I, did I just tell? Vincent, please. Does that mean I just told? Palmer fell silent and stared awkwardly into his glass for a moment. Then he apologised and excused himself from the table. 
it was the last I saw of him that night. He sent me a text 15 minutes later explaining that he had to go home and instructing me to charge the bill to his tab. I tried to contact him once I got back to California, but he never answered my calls or emails. A few weeks later, I found out what happened to him after performing a simple Google search of his name. Twelve days after, Alan Palmer and I met to talk about the house on Wendell Lane. He was found dead in his Seattle home. There was no sign of a struggle or forced entry. However, due to the horrific nature of his death, Seattle PD does believe that he was murdered. Palmer's body was discovered in front of the television on his living room couch, missing ears, eyes, and tongue.